today on the Rita Made Me Do It show. I was walking down the street one day. I think I'd been, you know, delivering pamphlets to the Senate or something like that. And on my way back to the office, I passed this door that I'd passed millions of times before. And it was for, I think it was for a palm reader. And it was a $10 fee. And if it had been more than that, I couldn't have afforded it. But for $10, I'm like, okay, I'm going to go see what this woman has to say. Yes, I paid my $10. I sat down in her chair and she looks at me and she goes, your throat chakra is blocked. And she said, you know, that has to do with communication. There's something that you're not communicating. And for, you know, several hundred dollars, we can do this cleansing where we'll clear all of your chakras using crystals and you'll be good to go in three days. And I said, you know, I can't afford that, but thank you very much. And I crossed the street, went up to my office and I found my boss and he said, I'm quitting. <laughs> because of Rita, I got on the news. Because of Rita, I had 15 speaking engagements last year. Because of Rita, I've become a six-figure business owner. Because, because, of, Rita, because of Rita, I've doubled my revenue by doubling my clients. I'm Rita, business strategist, speaker, and success coach. Also known as the gal who went on 35 dates in 35 days and blogged all about it. And this is the Rita Mimi Do It Show, where every week I bring you the real information about what it takes to go all in on your dreams so that you can build a profitable business and live a positive life. Some weeks I'll have a guest and others it'll be just you and me, like we're out on my deck sharing a bottle of wine. The conversation, yeah, it'll be that real. Welcome back to another episode of the Rita Mimi Do It Show. I am so excited to be here with you this week. I'm really excited to introduce you to my guest, Christine Goad, who I met at DC PodFest. That was what I was talking about in the last episode where I was speaking to a whole conference here in DC about podcasting. And I'm really grateful that she crossed my path because the conversation that we're going to have for you today, I think is going to just fill you with a lot of action and takeaways, no matter where you are in your business, actually, no matter where you are in your life. So I don't normally do an episode where I just take you kind of through the career trajectory, but I knew with Christine that this was different because there's, there's a much deeper story here. So thank you so much for being here, Christine. Thank you, Rita. I'm really excited. Yeah, I am too. So the first thing that caught my attention was your company name, which is Big Bold Begin It Project. And you help people get their dreams kind of out of their heads and into the world. And we will. We'll dig into that. But before we do, I mean, you weren't always a coach. That That's what we're going to get into today. You weren't always there. And you are new still relatively in my world, having only met you like last weekend, right? And you are absolutely new to the world of my listeners. So I really want them to get a sense of you. And I find that the best way to do that, I don't know if you know this, but they, they whoever they are, right, did a study that said that whoever you were at age seven is really like your truest, most unfiltered, authentic self. So I always kind of ask my guests to take me back a little bit to their childhood. So tell me about you. Tell, tell us about Christine as a kid. All right. At seven, I was reading everything I could get my hands on. Um, my mom would take me to the library and I could get out 30 books at a time and I would take all 30 home and put them in a stack next to my beanbag chair where I read, and I would just plow through them until I could go back and get 30 more. Um, and I also was writing my own stories and 
you know, drawing the pictures and um, creating my, I created my own board game. Really? <laughs> that I took, yeah, that I took to second grade and they put in the closet for rainy day games. And um, so you were a little bit of an entrepreneur, even at age seven. I just wanted to create my own little world, I think. Well, you, I think you've done a really great job of doing that. That's what we're going to talk about. So th- this was you growing up, but then you went to college. Did you go to college in Michigan? Yeah, I went to the U- University of Michigan. University of Michigan. And you went for biology, but you really loved writing. I mean, you really loved reading and writing and that part of creativity. So I'm curious, why did you go to college for biology? Why not writing if that was something that you loved or something in that creative kind of um, field, if that was really something you were passionate about? I was too young to see what writing could really be. And for me, it just felt like it wasn't enough. I wouldn't be using enough of the potential people had always told me I had if I simply became a writer. So, you know, I've been told forever that I was a smart girl and smart girls do science. So I wanted to be a scientist and I, you know, I was fascinated by science. And so I thought, yes, I'll be a scientist, but I couldn't quite see anything aside from a white coat. I didn't know anyone whose career path was evident. So I could say, oh, you studied this and you did this and you did this. And that makes you a scientist. I, it just didn't make sense. And I was in classes with, you know, 500 people and we were all fighting for the same grade on a curve. And I just couldn't see where it was all leading. So what was really interesting to me is that you said, you know, you loved writing, but you were too young to really see all of the different facets. And that you thought it wasn't it wasn't enough, I think is what you said. Like writing is not enough. Like people said, no, you, you're a scientist. That's what you do. So kind of like a little focus on um, the opinions of other people, right? Like worried about disappointing them. Would, would you say that that was something that was a concern to you? Grow- like, did you grow up in a family or was that just something that happened where you know, the expectation was that you follow a certain path? Yes, I think that was the expectation. Like my freshman year, I signed up for an archaeology class because I needed, you know, a specific credit and that fit the bill. And it was an honors course. And I came home from orientation and told my parents and they're like, we're not paying for an archaeology course. (laughs) (laughs) So I think there was a lot of, um, I had young parents and I feel like they wanted, you know, they'd worked really hard to give me a lot of opportunities. And I felt like, I really needed to fulfill. (laughs) Did you take any writing classes in college or anything, or did you just kind of let it go? I took one writing class, and I think it was my freshman year, and I got a C. Um, Yeah. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And then it was just game (laughs) over. It was just like, no more, is that right? No more writing classes after that? It kind of felt that way. Yeah. I, you know, I felt like I was again, I felt like I was too young to really have anything to say. And that was what I was seeing reflected in the instructor's comments was like, no, this is, you know, other people have already thought this thought, you know, Mm. why are you writing a whole poem about it? (laughs) Interesting. Interesting. So, okay. So one thing I want to say is when I, I hear two things, right? One is 
the concern of other people's opinions and feeling like I can't disappoint, I need to follow this path. Like this is this is what smart people do, and this is what my parents want me to do, and this is this is respected, and this is enough to go down the the scientist path, coupled with what you just said about. And I got a C for my first grade in writing, something I loved. And so then I just shut it all down and I just stopped stopped that, right? Like, because I thought, well, I'm not good at that, right? So my question is, are you a perfectionist? Like, do you have a little bit of perfectionism in you? I would say that for most of my life, yes, I have been an extreme perfectionist. <laughs> yeah. I, I always say that I'm a recovering or recovered or kind of recovered for perfectionist, right? So the same thing, right? So you you got shut down in the writing and you were doing biology, but you didn't stay in biology. So what happened there? I was, again, in classes with 500 students and we were having to do dissection and I was realizing that, you know, 500 frogs were being slaughtered. (laughs) And I just, you know, I'm going to say I never (laughs) thought of that. Right. So that was, that was an out for you. You're like, this is, I'm not contributing to kind of the greater, the greater good or was that important animals that, that like, was that a passion of yours that you had the environment, the planet, animals, anything like that? It was a a passion, but I felt like um, there were better ways to teach. I didn't feel like 500 animals had to die. And they told me that as I got into deeper and deeper, you know, higher level classes, they were going to be bigger animals. And um, I just didn't want to do that. So I kind of did an end run around them. And I started taking all the classes I wanted to take that didn't include dissection. And I put it all under the umbrella of a psychology as a natural science degree so that I got to study cognition and perception and animal behavior and, um, you know, go deep into the psychology part, but still get my science background that I really enjoyed and wanted. So where did you see that taking you, that pivot? Where, like, to what career? I wasn't sure. I would love to have done some field work. Um, But at some point, when I was getting close to graduation, I realized that what I was really interested in was how people feel, um, you know, it was the late eighties and we hadn't quite woken up completely yet to what the environmental issues were, but the ones that were apparent to people tended to shut them down rather than inspiring them to take action. They just closed their eyes and and said, well, it's too big for me to manage. And I wanted to combine psychology and environmental science and figure out how to help people be more resilient and creative in the face of big environmental um, issues. And so I was trying to put together a master's degree that, that combined those two things. And I was told that that would be a really hard path to follow because I would be in two different departments. Neither one would want to give me any money. And neither one would really want to give me their support because I wasn't committed fully to their department. So I let that be another block and stop me from interesting. And I wonder that. again, such an easy block, right? For mm-hmm. you, where you're like, oh, okay, well, I can't do it, right? Okay. Right. So yes. that's over. That's over, right? And again, I wonder if it's just because you didn't really love that idea. Maybe because somewhere inside you knew I'm following this path that's still not my my mm-hmm. path maybe i don't know i mean i'm just gu- guessing right that again like i said it's that but it is interesting that that so far two for two it's just like okay well that's over so so that was over 
And what I what I was reading about you was that you landed, of course, like you're going to land on your feet. You landed um, in another job, but but this job was raising money for a nonprofit in right. Washington D.C., which in no way seems related. Maybe it was, but to me, just on paper, it doesn't seem related to like any even any of the science kind of path that you had gone down. So, how did you go from okay, that's over, into bouncing into raising money for a nonprofit? I was interested in the environmental issues that were um, coming up. And so I started working with a nonprofit that was addressing some of those issues. And I ended up in the fundraising part. And I think that the reason I let myself get so shut down in throughout a good portion of my life is that I'm a permission seeker. I always kind of have felt like somebody else has to give me permission to do something. Oh, my creative, my creative writing teacher gave me a C that's not permission. You know, the career counselor said, Oh no, don't do that. That's not permission. So I have to go find something else. That is so interesting because I see that in entrepreneurship a lot that people are waiting for permission to do the same thing, go off the beaten beaten path or take the, and I, a, I think it's why coaching is kind of important because coaches are like, well, what if you just gave yourself permission, right, to like consider this other thing uh, until we feel like we can give our own selves the the permission. But I see that all the time. And so I never even really thought about that. But yeah, I could see that. I could see that for you. I could see that for me. So I could see that for you. Um, but but so it was related. A little, the fundraising was related in a way because the nonprofit were the causes that you still kind of cared about. So it was still related right. in some kind of thread, right? You still have right. this, this thread going through everything that you've done. But um, I can't imagine fundraising was something knowing your creative, you know, background, what you love that you you love. So chances were it wasn't your favorite job. Is that correct? No, it wasn't. And um, it was really hard. <laughs> it was hard. <laughs> and, and it was even harder um, given that, you know, I was working 70 hours a week and barely making enough money to live at the poverty level with two uh, roommates. There was a period of time where I was eating peanut butter and jelly sandwiches all day long because that's what I could afford. <laughs> and so you were doing that and you weren't loving it. It was a little hard. So what what made you quit? Was there like a moment where you're just like, okay, like I'm leaving it? Did you get offered another job? Was it, <laughs> you know, more like straightforward than that? Tell me a little bit about what made you leave the nonprofit job. Um, I had been getting exhausted. Um, I basically had Sundays off and that was it. And I realized on those Sundays when I had the ability to do the things that I loved, including writing, that I couldn't write anymore. Um, What I was, the language I was using at work all week long was us versus them, you know, give us money so that we can make them do the right thing kind of thing. And I lived with the people I worked with with. So we spoke the same language at home. And I realized that I just couldn't even write anymore. All I could do was draw pictures. <laughs> so I was drawing pictures <laughs> of dolphins and whales. And that was my therapy on Sunday. Like I'm losing my ability to actually communicate this. This job is sucking everything right. out of me. So was that enough? You're just like, okay, that's it. Like I'm well, just going to quit. Or It all kind of came to a head. My two roommates moved out a month before our lease was up. So that left me alone in this apartment and um, we were getting ready for the next year of fundraising. We had, you know, a a new goal and 
Um, I was trying to train someone to do the job that I'd been doing for a year and she was not appreciating the way I did things. <laughs> she said I would be better as a kindergarten teacher and that I was, you know, not good at dealing with adults. And so anyway, it was this big thing where I was trying to train someone and she didn't want to know what I needed to tell her. So anyway, so it was just a really stressful position with the exhaustion, the lack of, cre- uh, you know, being able to write, the lack of money, the lack of time. And um, I was walking down the street one day, I think I'd been, you know, delivering pamphlets to the Senate or something like that. And on my way back to the office, I passed this door that I'd passed millions of times before. And it was for, I think it was for a palm reader. Yeah. And it was a $10 fee. And if it had been more than that, I couldn't have afforded it. But for $10, I'm like, okay, I'm going to go see like what this that is. That is a good say. use of my money. I'm <laughs> yes. going to, I only have 10. That's where yes. it needs to go. I mean, of course, because that's what we do, right? It's like, right. I need, I need somebody again, it, Looking for permission. Looking for permission. You were going to a palm reader. So So you went into the the palm reader. And I I paid your 10. Yes, I paid my $10. I sat down in her chair and she looks at me and she goes, your throat chakra is blocked. And she said, you know, that has to do with communication. There's something that you're not communicating. And for, you know, several hundred dollars, we can do this cleansing where we'll clear all of your chakras using crystals and you'll be good to go in three days. And I said, you know, I can't afford that, but thank you very much. And I crossed the street, went up to my office and I found my boss and I said, I'm quitting. (laughs) Wow. So, wow. Right. I, a, you know, good. I mean, people believe in palm reading. People believe in tarot. I don't know if it's real or not. I tend to lean on the non-believing side of that. Um, But Right. I believe that you will hear what you want to hear out of that. And the reason you walked through that door, like you said, is you were looking for permission and something in your brain said, I bet you whatever you hear in here will give you the the permission to and it did, apparently, because you walked in and you're like, Look, that lady down the street in the palm reading place said I needed to go clean my throat chakra. And so I gotta <laughs> I gotta quit. So you quit. Like, what was your reaction to that? I mean, you quit that day. You were like, I'm out. Yeah. Okay. And they were just like shocked or not shocked? They were. They were upset. And um, it went up the chain several people and they were upset. (laughs) Yeah. But but you knew that you've been thinking about it. You've been right. And so this was the moment and and you would, you started, you started all right. Now I want to talk about that for a minute though, because there are many listeners and many people I meet every time I speak, everywhere I go who say, Rita, because I quit my law job, right? They they had downsized and changed. Um, and if anybody doesn't know my story, you can go back and listen to episode one. Um, but they had changed my uh, duties. And as they were telling me about my new job, the words I quit came out of my mouth. And people are like, oh, I've been wanting to quit my job forever, but I'm so scared. And how did you do it? And I, I say, honestly, I had a husband <laughs> that had insurance and a salary. And so I came home to my husband with, an in, with insurance and a salary. And yeah, money was tight, but there was a buffer. And then I had another guest on who again said, I she was an actress in New York and um, she had an agent and she knew acting wasn't for her. Her name is Laura Casey. If you guys know her, she owns Cultivate What Matters. And that was episode nine, I believe, in my podcast, which is an incredible episode. And she also said, you know, oh, well, I quit. But for her, she was like, I was like, okay, like I felt great. And then it was, I don't know how I'm going to eat and what I'm going (laughs) to do. And there's a lot of anxiety there. And she didn't have, right, a safety net. And she talks about, I probably would have done it differently if 
I, you know, knowing what I know now, I probably would have had a safety net of some kind or a plan in place before I did it. And so for you, what was your mindset? Were you scared to go in and quit or did you feel really confident to go in and quit? I knew it was what had to happen. I wasn't feeling like, ex- I, I, I don't know. I Because it, it wasn't was planned, right? It wasn't it planned wasn't. for that day. It's no. like maybe in your mind, you're like, <laughs> one day I'm probably going to quit this thing, right? But like that day wasn't the day. And no. so, right, so you went in, you probably felt a rush of energy. You're like, yeah. I'm going to quit. And then what did you feel like afterwards? Um, I felt guilty because I was letting people down. You know, we were heading into our new year and they'd been counting on me and now they were going to have to fill my spot. And so I felt guilty about that, but I was also extremely relieved. And I knew that my parents would be more than happy to have me come home to them because DC was not the safest place at the time. They were calling in the national guard to help police the streets at night. And (laughs) so my parents were like, Good. You know, they thought I'd gone down the road. Come wrong back path to Michigan. Come back to Michigan. Let's right? reset. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. So you had the safety net of your parents, right? right? So again, you know, there are very few people who I've met now who have said, I quit my job and it all, all just worked out, right? Like there are people I've met who have quit without a safety net and they made it work out, right? But I think people who are waiting to hear the story of, I quit without a safety net, but it was great and it was fine. And I started my own business and I got clients right away. The next day, like, you're going to be listening to that story forever. What you're going to hear is I quit and then I figured out how to make other things work while I was making things work and it wasn't the best and it wasn't always fun. So I can't imagine going home to your parents for you after living in D.C. was a lot of fun. So what was your mindset around like having to go back home and and live at home? I was really sad. Um, I love DC. I had loved it since I, you know, the first time I visited and, um, I just felt like, you know, that was actually the first time I'd really failed something, you know, I'd come close to failing at other things occasionally, especially in college, but this was like the first thing where I had failed, you know, I couldn't make it work. And I was, I was about home. to say, so what, what was your definition of failure there? And it was just, right. you couldn't make yourself love the job. You couldn't make yourself. Yeah. That's okay. the thing because I would go to my, um, my supervisor and I said to her at one point, you know, I'm not earning enough money. I can't put any money away. I'm hardly eating. These hours are killing me. And the answer was we've all done it. Mm. So they were a social change organization that couldn't change. And We've all done it. And, and something about you then must be broken. If exactly. You can't yeah, that's interesting. Could, How yeah. dare you question our, our you know. Well, our- and <laughs> that, but again, right, we both know as coaches, I think that, that where that comes from, and for listeners out there, right, that comes from if they said that any other way was the right way instead of the way they were thinking about it and the way they had gone about it, they would be saying that what they chose to do and how they chose to live and how they chose to what would be incorrect. Mm-hmm. And most people don't want to be wrong, right? So mm-hmm. by opening it up and saying, oh, well, of course you shouldn't just make yourself love this job. Of course you shouldn't, you know, work in a job that you can't make money to afford your bills or whatever. Like then that makes them like something's wrong with them for having made that decision to do it. So they have to make right. other people wrong, right? So that's very, very interesting actually to me that – 
that you, your definition of failure was, I couldn't make myself love something that didn't work for me. Mm-hmm. Right? I couldn't fit into the box. Couldn't fit it. <laughs> and so for you, that was failure. That's so, yeah. so fascinating. So you, you went home and you went back to school mm-hmm. for writing. So you did decide to go back to writing. Yes. Um, it saved my life. It really did. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's how I was looking at it. Um, I needed to get my language back. Yeah. And you, you found it and you actually, you found a job, right? And so in writing and you were writing for a small, like a small business magazine mm-hmm. about just, it doesn't matter. It's some industry topic. I'm a small business magazine. And here's what I find that when I was reading your story, again, I was like, I was like reading a little novel when I was just reading like your bio, right? And I'm like, oh, good. Oh, good. It's, I felt like I reached the end of the book, right? Like she loved writing and then she did all this stuff that she didn't love. But look, yay, she found writing and like how happily ever after the end until it was like, and then I left that job. So I'm like, all right, girl. So you wanted to write. You knew that was your thing. You tried other jobs. You tried other ways. It wasn't working. You were quitting. You were leaving. You were pivoting. You were letting obstacles pivot you because you knew you wanted to get back to something more creative and more like writing. And you had it. You had the job. You had the job. And then you quit it. So now the question is, what was what was going on there? It was a job I should have never taken. Um, it was a very small firm, and I had interviewed with everyone else in the company, and I loved them all. And then my very last interview was with the owner of the company. And at the time, I was too young to really, too inexperienced to really understand what was going on, but I was being asked in, in my interview questions about whether I had a boyfriend and when I was going to start having a family and all of these questions. And I left that interview feeling completely sick to my stomach, but I was living on my sister's, I was sleeping on my sister's floor <laughs> while yeah, I figured okay. it out. And, um, cause I, you know, finished the grant, the degree and now I've got to go somewhere. So I was sleeping on my sister's floor and they, they offered me this job. And my thought was everyone else in the office is so nice and they can make it work. This must be an okay place to work. And so I accepted the job. Uh, Again, trying to fit yourself into the box, which is like, I don't feel good here. I don't want to be here. But if everybody else is doing it, then it must be the thing to do. Something (laughs) must be wrong with me. I can't fail at this one. I got to make it work. Okay. All right. Right. So you you accepted the job. Do you think that – like I notice that when people tend to be in relationships that they shouldn't be in, friendships, romantic jobs they shouldn't be in, um, work with clients they shouldn't work with, right? Like just take all kinds of opportunities that aren't the right fit. It tends to be from some feeling of lack or scarcity, like another job mm-hmm. wouldn't come along or there mm-hmm. wouldn't be another right. right fit. Here you were, I, and I could see that with you, so I'm curious if it's true, where you had deviated so far away from writing. And then here you were. And I think the one thing we haven't talked about is when this was happening, when you had gone back to school for writing and you got this job, this was when the internet was taking over and people were laying off writers, right? Like writing was no longer the big industry like it had been. So you get a job. And I was wondering if there was anything going on in there around, well, there might not be another writing job. Absolutely. That was absolutely it. Um, the the writing program had taken a big hit, uh, toll on my confidence level as it was, and then to come out and realize that you know all of these veteran 
reporters and freelance writers and staff writers were now all fighting for the same freelance work for, you know, companies that didn't have a lot of money to spend. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, it was a really, it was a really scary thing. And, and you probably um, yeah, you didn't want to live on your sister's floor anymore. Right. So it's like, no. there's money <laughs> being offered to me. I should take it right. because right. I need money. Right. Right. So. And the title, you know, writer and editor. And, so there we go know, back with the respect and the authority yeah. and like making you right. feel like I made it. See, this is what right. I set out to do. Oh, yeah. So right. just a bad combination of like, you know, a bad boss working situation with with that. So you did it and you were there. You you did not love love that job. Um, and it, we don't need to go into all the others. You left you left that job. Right. Or they. How did you end up exiting out of that job? I was fired. Oh, okay. I had been trying to quit in my head for a while. And I talked about it with a coworker who said, oh, no, just hang out a couple more weeks. You'll get your bonus. It'll all be good. After we do this event, it'll all be good. And it wasn't. Yeah, it wasn't. <laughs> so, and so it was time. It was time to yeah. time to go. But you probably have been thinking about it. I mean, like you said before that. Yeah. And a little bit of that whole, but I got to make it work, right? That seems to be like, a right. thing, like I got to make it work. Um, so you left and um, that the path took you to a 10-year job. So you found a job you were in for 10 years. And so as a, I was reading this part of the story, I was like, oh, good. She found it. She's like 10 years. Okay, great. Like she must have loved that job. That was her happy ever after. Like it probably gave her everything she needed like to whatever. And so yay, right? Was that the case? Was this 10-year job that you fell into like the job? And if so, why did you leave it to start your own business? So something tells me it might not have been the job, but I want it to be the <laughs> job. So, so tell me there a little bit about that. Um, it, in some ways it really was the job. It was a great job. It was, it paid well. It gave me an awful lot of autonomy. Um, I also, I was basically helping an artist make things happen. She would say, I want to do this. I want to, you know, publish this book in Spanish and I need you to find me a translator and we need to make this book happen. And, oh, we're going to create this divination card deck and, oh, we're going to create an app. Oh, and we're going to okay. do this. So it did tie into your creativity. Yeah. So it let me, I had to be the one that went out and figured out how to do all the stuff. Yeah. And so I was learning and growing and helping someone else put their dreams into the world. And I love helping people put their dreams into the world. It was, you know, it was really fulfilling in that way. But at the same time, I was learning that uh, there was more. It's like, I want to be the one putting the creative stuff into the world. And I also want to be helping more than just one person put creative stuff into the world. So um, I had learned about the term location independent. And I loved, it was, it was kind of a new thing. It was like 2005 and people were starting to build online businesses and live anywhere they wanted in the world or travel constantly. So I started um, researching that and learning about that and taking courses and um, really trying to visualize what that would look like for me. And I couldn't quite visualize it. And without being able to fully visualize it. Oh, there we it, go again. There's that perfectionist again. Right? Yes. So without being able to see the end result, you just weren't going to start. Is that right? Right. Yeah. I, you know, I would set deadlines for myself and I'd say, 
you know, I need to do these three things in my job. And after I've completed those three things, then I can leave. And I would complete those three things. And then I'd be like, oh, but you know, I'm not quite ready yet. So let's do these other things. And it just kept rolling and rolling and rolling. And what I was doing, I was becoming really sad because I wasn't following through on anything that I wanted for myself. And so I started doing things like, you know, running sprint triathlons or signing up for 100 mile cycling events where you'd cycle 100 miles in a day, just so that I could prove to myself that I could commit to something, train for it and do it and follow through. Because I was really starting to to distrust myself and think that I, I was never going to take care of myself. You were never going to do it. You were always going to put something else before you, right? Which the thread there mm. seems to be that security, right? Because the first things that you just said, right. I can't help but kind of like put on the coaching hat too, right? As I'm sure you know, when you talk to me, <laughs> but like, um, I think it's also important for, you know, listen, and how many of you out there, dear listeners, right, um, have felt this way because I'm sure we all have, right, in terms of, I want to leave something. I want to get out of something. But first, or, or not even leave, I want something, whatever that is. But before I can have that thing, first I need to blink, blink, blink. Or before I X, I need to Y. Or after I just one, two, three, then I can four, five, six, right? It's kind of like, and that's just distraction from fear mm-hmm. of doing the thing because the thing mm-hmm. is scary, right? Quitting your job, a job you love. I mean, it's, I mean, and for you, that underlying theme I'm picking up on is security, right? Security of mm-hmm. income, security of benefits, just security of like knowing the end result. Like there was one thing about that job. You knew what was going to happen. You knew like the routine. You knew the path. You could probably see your path like really forward there, right? right? So for you as a perfectionist, like I can see it. I can see the path. I know how it's all going to, exactly. and even though I don't like it and it's not my ideal path, ah, that's better than getting on one I can't see, right? So I'm just going to stay over here. And so that's not, you know, that's not surprise. I think it's just important for because sometimes people don't see that pattern. They don't see that that's a thing, right? They just, they really, because we do believe it. I was the same way. Oh, before I quit, I need to make a certain amount of money or before I leave, I just once I have this much in savings or once I've completed this project or once I have three clients in my side job, then I'll be able to quit my full time job. Right. But it seems like when we hit those whatever we set, then like you said, Mm -hmm. it's something else. Right. Oh, well, but I still have this other thing to do. So then what did Right. What did get you to, I mean, you said you were feeling it. You weren't, you weren't quitting. You were staying. So then how did you actually exit out? My husband lost his job and found a new one in a new state. Oh, so you had, you had had permission. (laughs) (laughs) The universe gave me permission. Yeah. I don't think I, well, that's a nice way of saying what the universe was doing, right? Because (laughs) you were comfortable in that job. You liked, I mean, that job wasn't a bad job. You liked the job. You just wanted more is what it sounds like, right? right? So that's comfortable. And, you know, I tell people all the time that comfort, is the worst word in the English language because it mm. means you're not joyous with your life, but you're not mm-hmm. uncomfortable or unhappy enough to do anything to change it. So you're just gonna gonna stay, right? And you don't because if you were super uncomfortable in that job, 
then it wouldn't have mattered that you couldn't see the path of the other thing you would have left her, but you were comfortable. So like, of course, being comfortable is better than the unknown and uncomfort, right? right? So you were super comfortable there. So then again, like when the universe, whatever it is for all of you out there, listeners, higher energy, God, uh, you know, for me, it's God, but like, it basically said, oh my gosh, I've been whispering for like 10 years. <laughs> this girl longer. I've been like whispering, 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 sometimes hitting her in the head with a two by four. And now I'm going to have to do it again, which is like, you're not going to exit out of this situation. So I'm going to create a situation that makes you have to figure it out, exit out, right? So this is where you really started forming your own business. And this is how we get back to, you know, the um, big, bold, begin it project, right? How did you land on that? How did you go from where you were to then that as a concept of your of your coaching and 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 tell us a little bit about it, like the the trajectory or or whatever that got you to that. I mean, you had a name for it, so there was a vision that you held. Mm -hmm. There was so what did you see yourself doing, and and how did you land on that? Well, I promised myself I wasn't going to take another traditional job. That I was going to make this work. That I was going to do this thing. And what I'd realized my superpower was in all of these other jobs was that I could see, somebody could say, this is our goal and this is where we are. And I could see all the steps from here to there. And I could say, you know, I don't know how to do this step or I don't know what goes in this box, but I know what this box is. So I could see it all. And I realized that other people didn't necessarily have that same skill. They were just kind of overwhelmed and clueless. So I'm like, okay, I've been doing it for this one person for 10 years. I want to do this for other people. Other people have things they want to put into the world. And at the same time, I had three friends die all in one year, less under 50, under 50 years old. And I just felt like, darn it, we're all getting older. We've got to do the things we came here to do. So I was trying to talk to people who are over 40, over 50 about dreams that they'd put on hold while they were raising their families and building a career and, you know, making the money to do all the things. And I wanted to help them resurrect those dreams and see what it looked like from this point in their lives, what was possible and help them start making steps to make it happen. And what I found, unfortunately, (laughs) was that dreams that have been put on hold kind of stay on hold. People would play with it, but never, there wasn't any, again, they were comfortable, right? Why would I choose to go do this thing that is shiny and awesome as it might be? It's going to make me uncomfortable. It's going to risk what I've worked so hard to build. So it stayed on that shelf. Yeah, and and the urgency, (laughs) right? Like if that was an old dream that they put on the shelf, like who knows, right? How far removed from them that feels at that point. So I could see that. So, but, but you knew that this is something that, that you wanted to do, you did launch Mm -hmm. your business. So you were out there talking. So I'm Mm -hmm. curious because it is called the big, bold, uh, begin it project, right? So what was something bold that you did to begin your business? How did, uh, when, when people are always like, how do I start? How do I get my first clients? Like, what do I do? That is just a bold action to even take the first step. What was your first step for that? I pick, like you said, I picked the name uh-huh. and I made a couple of cute Canva. Oh, thank goodness for Canva. I, we all love Canva. Yeah. <laughs> and I, you know, had this sense of, you know, childlike wonder I wanted to read. And so I, I put out this post on Facebook and said, look, I want to help you reconnect with 
your former self and the energy and the wonder and the excitement and, you know, put something into the world that is truly yours. And um, I was blessed to find six people who raised their hands. And if I can take a minute to tell you about my, one of the favorite stories that um, one woman I knew, she was an artist from North Carolina and she wrote to me and she said, I'm not going to sign up to be your client, but my husband is retired. Let and me throw, yeah, let me time. throw you my, can you keep him busy, please? Can you get him occupied? <laughs> yeah. So she signed her husband up and I was like, I was terrified because I knew her husband. He had been an art professor at universities and I was like, oh my gosh, what am I going to have to say to this man? You know, he's, he's much mm-hmm. older than I am. He's got more world experience and I was terrified. But it turned out that he and I ended up making a great relationship and and really getting much farther than either one of us ever expected. But it was just like this, you know, here. Have, have, have this, this person. person. So I'm tra- two questions. <laughs> one, were the first six, did you charge? Were they free? Uh, did you just put up like, I'm just looking for pro bono? Was there a fee attached to it? I know that that's a question that so many of my listeners have and, and that people go back and forth on in terms of but I want to make $1,500 for six months of coaching. And so I'm putting that out there, but I'm not getting any clients. So I've never actually had a coaching client versus like, I just want to just get some clients. And I'm well, so how did you first for your first one, that first post, what was your thought process behind that? Um, I needed the confidence to know that I could actually be a coach. And so I just wanted the experience. And so my first six were pro bono. Did you feel confident in yourself after you had worked with him and with the other clients and your abilities and skills? For the most part, I want to say yes. I mean, I got some great testimonials from that. And I saw people do things very quickly. One of my clients had been wanting to create a nonprofit for nine years. And he did it in less than six wow, months. Wow, that's incredible. Once it's a good feeling, so, right, to watch that happen. It was. It was it was really amazing. But for for me, confidence is one of those things that sure. comes and goes. So if I'm not regularly coaching, then the the confidence starts to fall away. It's something that I have to be engaging in regularly for me to go, oh yes, I can do this. And it brings me immense yeah. joy. <laughs> oh, that's right. Right. Because cons- consistency <laughs> helps keep that in our lives. Right. So, but you did it. And so right. you have built your business. So since then you haven't gone back. I mean, you, you, um, you built your business and that actually led you to creating what we were talking about at DC Podfest, which is um, a program that starts with a retreat on the front end. And what I love about this format, right, is a lot of group coaching programs. After you go through your group coaching program with all all of your, you know, fellow participants, maybe there's a trip or a retreat or something at the end where you can go and you can meet everybody. Um, I love that this starts with that upfront, right? So this retreat is called um, Surfing Your Edge, right? Retreat. So tell us a little bit about that. What is this, what is this program? What is this retreat um, about? And, and how did you, you know, come up with this concept? Okay. Um, I was coming up on the 20th anniversary of a cross-country bike trip I did 
and I needed something. What made you, what made you go on a cross country bike trip? I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm, I'm like, wait a minute. I have to, we have to interrupt this program to ask like, that's, that's not a, you said that like it was a normal thing. Oh, I just like biked across the country, the country, the entire country. Mm-hmm. Right. So as someone who may not be the most athletic person in the world, I hear that and I'm like, what made you want to do that? I'm curious about that. Oh, yeah. I was not the most athletic person either. I was 29. I weighed 213 pounds. I had asthma and I didn't own a bike. Oh, I'd never, okay. I'd never <laughs> ridden more than 20 miles in a day. And there was this two page spread in the newspaper and they were, it was the American Lung Association. They wanted to do the biggest bike event ever. So they were doing a cross country bike event from Seattle Washington to Washington, DC, and they wanted to take a thousand people. And we were each going to raise $6,000 minimum to help the American Lung Association. And we were going to be ambassadors for the Lung Association as we were crossing the, the country. And I'm nuts, basically. I wanted an adventure. I said, yes, I'm going to do that. I had no clue whether I could, but I was going to go do it. And, um, yeah, it was not at all what I expected. I, but it was perfect. <laughs> yeah. See, so up at the front end of our story, we have I don't know the end result. I'm not going to do the thing. And here we have I don't know how it's going to work out, but I'm going to do it. Right? Like, do you think that coaching other people and going through that own trajectory of yourself got you to a point where it was mm. really easy to say? I mean, that's a big commitment to not know the end result. I like going across the country yeah. and biking. I mean, you know, that's a big shift from the Christine we met at the beginning of this podcast, you know, where it's right. like, oh, I just took jobs I didn't like and I wasn't going to quit and I needed permission to do things and I needed to know how it would work out to, I don't have a bike, but sure, I'll bike across the country. <laughs> so what do you think was the catalyst for helping you be able to do that? That's a really good question. I'm not That's exactly fine. sure. I I think that uh, I I've been told. Mm-hmm. I, actually, you know those things you take those quizzes that tell you are you this person sure. or are you this person. One of the quizzes I took told me that I was the person who looks at opportunities and can say yes or no, rather than the person who can create opportunities okay. and then go for them. So I think it was one of those. I saw the opportunity and I said. Yes, that's an adventure. That's, you know, I want to be a writer, you know, I could write about that. So let's go do that. Again, um, you know, that that'll give me some life experience that I can actually (laughs) write about. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) Like, if I'm gonna be a writer about life experience, I should go have some, right? That's a that's a good lesson. So you did it. You you biked across the country. Did you write about it? I did. I wrote a book about it, a memoir. It's called Your Mileage May Vary. Um, which is both, you know, physical mileage. They would tell us in the morning that you're going to ride, you know, 97 miles today. And our odometer at the end of the day would say, oh no, you rode 110, you know? Um, so it was that, but it was also the fact that, you know, there were seven, 730 of us actually rode across the country and everyone's experience was different. My experience was not anyone else's. And so your mileage may vary like that. in that so way. So is that well. book still available for purchase? Can people, is that a link we can include in the show notes for people? Okay, cool. Yes, we, we definitely, definitely will. And so, because I, I mean, we could talk about that, I'm sure for another whole podcast episode all on its own about the, the changes in you from doing something mm-hmm. like that, but we'll all read the book and then I'll have you back on and we'll talk, we'll talk about your book. Okay. So let's get to the surfing your, your edge retreat, uh, or group program, yeah. which is also a retreat. Yeah. 
how did you how did you come up with with that idea? So you had done that. You had just gotten back from this cross country bike trip, and yeah, it was the twentieth anniversary oh, of the okay. bike trip. Okay, and I and I had been getting lessons from the bike trip still over yeah. these twenty years, and um, I wanted to do something to celebrate it, something to to commemorate it, you know. And I knew I couldn't take another three months and ride across the country, so I was looking for something else to do, and. I wanted to do something scary because that's what I do. And I am terrified. I have been terrified of open water. So and I so of course, to- <laughs> let's go like, let's surf. That sounds right. normal. Okay. <laughs> yes. Surfing was the thing that scared me the most. And I thought, okay, maybe that's the thing. And I, well, actually I, that was the thing that right. scared me the most. So I tar- started talking to people and saying, you know, I'd like to go do something big and scary I'd like to take other people with me and then do a coaching program based on that. And I said, but it can't be surfing. And a friend of mine said, well, why can't it be surfing? And I said, because I'm terrified of surfing. And as the leader, I can't be terrified. And he said, no, you absolutely can be terrified. That would make you a great Mm, leader. (laughs) That's so good. That's that's so good because I think sometimes people feel that in order to lead they have to have it all together and they have to know everything. And, and I think that's what keeps people from just starting in their own journey as an entrepreneur or business right. owners. Who That imposter said, who am I to, right? Who am I to do this or to do that? If you go down that path of, but I, I can't teach them how to, but you had something they didn't have, which was like, the drive to want to conquer the fear, right? And maybe some people did, but you could lead them down that. So I just love that your firm's like, that's actually a good leader is to kind of be part of or behind the group, right? Instead of just like, I am up here and you are down there, all of you scared people. (laughs) Look at me, I'm not scared. So you were scared of of it. You were looking for something exciting and you just said, mm-hmm. I can't do it. Your friend said, you you can do it. And then you just decided to do it. I went to a conference, a business conference, and we were talking about bucket list items. And the leader, you know, gave me the microphone and said, what's on your bucket list? And I said, I want to learn to surf because it scares me. And I'd like to take a bunch of people with me and go home and help them surf their edge on in whatever area of their lives that they want. And the room just lit up and they were like, yes, I want to learn to surf with you. I said it out loud. And at the end of that day, a woman came up to me and said, you know, she was an American, but she was living in Panama. And she said, you know, I run a whale and dolphin retreat. You know, we go out on whale and dolphin watching tours and I hold, you know, I help support retreat leaders and you know, come to Panama, we can learn to surf, we'll find you a good safe beach to learn to surf on, we'll see whales and dolphins, you know, Panama is close, it's tropical, it uses the American dollar, come. Wow, so you you like got rewarded right away, you like made a declaration. And then like, if you if you, you know, are into the the manifestation, right, it's almost like you manifested a person to give you the ability to do it. So now how are you going to not you said it in front of all these people that cheered, and now you've got a woman who wants to help you do it, right? Talk right, about like right. the nudges from the universe, like here you go. So, so you did it. I did it. Um, I found a someone to help me, you know, write the copy for my first website, and I put it together and um, was super excited. And this is the funny part: 
as I was developing it for the website, I was learning still more <laughs> about from the big ride, from the cross-country bike trip. And I was realizing that I'd been asking the wrong question on that ride and that this was the answer. You know, the I'd been asking, what box do I fit in on the big ride? And this was the answer. You have to create yes. your own. Oh. And I was going to help other people create their own. And so I was all excited. I'm like, oh, I've done it. I've done it. I've created the thing. This is the thing. And then I got scared. And I didn't put it out there and I didn't put it out there and I didn't put it out there. And it was right up. Oh my gosh. Two weeks, two months before I was supposed to go that I finally started having the courage. Oh, so you really, you had it like planned on the other end. You just hadn't started advertising it yet. I was terrified. You know, okay. So here's a little, so you know how you've been talking about being a perfectionist and for people who know procrastination and perfectionism go hand in hand. And here's why dramatic procrastination and perfectionism go hand in hand. And that's traumatic procrastination, getting that close to the deadline for a big trip, right? And here's why. Like, it's my favorite. It's my favorite thing to talk about. So here's why is that when you're a perfectionist, you can't fail at something. You need to be good. You need to get the A. You need to. So let's take it in terms of a school paper, right? Like, uh, you know, you would not write the paper and not write the paper and not write the paper. And then you would stay up all night and do a 24, an all-nighter. And in 24 hours, write this huge paper, run it down to your teacher's office, put it in the box and be like, okay, I got I got it in. And you'd get it back and there would be like a C plus on it. And you would say, mm, well, that's not bad because I only had 24 hours to work on this paper, right? So imagine if I had actually used like all three months, then I would have gotten an A, right? I would have gotten an A. I mean, I got C plus on just 24 hours, right? But the reason you do that is because you don't actually want to know if I took all three months, right, to write the mm-hmm. paper and get the C plus back. You don't have that. Oh, but I only had 24 hours. And this, even though you're the one that created the situation that gave you only 24 hours in the first place, you don't see that, right? So it gives you the ability to say, it's not my fault that it, I didn't do as well as I wanted. Whereas if you took the whole time to do it. So in entrepreneurs, what I see, with, especially with retreats and programs, say, well, wait and wait and wait and wait to advertise it. Because then if they advertise it, nobody signs up. Well, there were only two months. That's why That's why nobody, right. not a lot of people signed up, right? And so, and so it wasn't my fault. Like, but if you had taken all nine months or whatever and advertised it and mm-hmm. still only got a few signups, that to a perfectionist is like a nightmare, right? So I'm not surprised by that. And also you put it up and you you got people to go. You win. I did. I did. I started doing some deep mindset work. Oh, I love and- mindset work. Oh, you're speaking my language. Oh, so good. <laughs> <laughs> I realized I had to show up in the world as the person who could lead that <gasps> rather than as the person who was afraid to lead oh, boy. that. Oh boy. Oh um, boy. All my clients out there are like, <laughs> wow, she's just speaking Rita's language, right? Because one thing I say is you have to show up as the person who already has the thing you want in order to get the thing you want. You can't get it right. until you show up like, to, like you have to step into the shoes of what would that person be like? And what would, so you were like, I'm stepping into the shoes of a person who already leads this successful retreat. And then everything right. kind of lined up to reward that. So you right. went. And so yeah. what was it like to go to this different country and that you had never been to before and learn how to surf and lead your first retreat, right? So there's another first, and it's still kind of a relatively new business for you. So tell me what that was like. Yeah. How did you feel going into it? How did you feel during it? And like, what was the shift in you? after going through something like that? Um, it was terrifying. I I threw a little fit the very first day that we were supposed to be doing our surf lesson. We, um, you know, we'd gotten in the day before 
before and we had driven, you know, that day we had driven five hours to our new surf hotel and it was raining and we had half an hour to change and get ready to go and meet our surf instructor. And it was still raining and it, we're seeing lightning over the ocean. And I'm, I'm dragging this big heavy board cause I'm a big woman and I'm, they gave me this gigantic board <laughs> and I had to carry it. And I was like dragging it toward the ocean with big waves and gray water and lightning and rain. And I'm just like, I am having a little fit. I was seriously, I was the last person in the line. Everyone else was ahead of me. And I'm back there going, this is my retreat. And they're all leaving me. And I don't want to learn to surf in the rain. And you were fighting it hard, right? You're fighting all the changes and all the new stuff that was coming your way. That's your body going into like that panic defense yeah. mode, right? So so how did yeah. you get through that? Um. I fought even as we were heading out into the waves, you know, he'd be like, come on, come on. And I'm like, no, no, no. Um, but we did it. We, the first day we only rode in on our bellies and that was just mm -hmm. fine. I got out into the water. I was in waves that scared me. I did it and it was okay because I didn't have a chance to, you know, to really prepare. I just had to throw myself in. And, and after that, it got easier and more fun. And we all stood up on our surfboards the second day, which was incredible. And we got photos to yeah. prove it, which is, you know, that's the right, big thing. Right, right. <laughs> Otherwise, it didn't happen, right? <laughs> right. And, you know, we, we, uh, we saw dolphins and um, it was, it was, and my client was just thrilled. I had one client that went with me on the first beta test and she was thrilled from the moment she hit the country she was just happy with everything. And so the, the weird thing was that I felt like the first retreat, I was just kind of observing after, you know, when I was on the surfboard, I was really present. But the rest of the time, I was just like in constant observation mode and just kind of not fully in my body and not fully in the, the country kind of thing, um, trying to figure out if it was all going to work and, yeah. and look at it from a distance. Yeah. So you've done it again, since then, you twice, know, you've done yeah. it twice. Yep. So then the second time, I mean, you had done it before, right? So how for you, are you keeping it, I guess, fresh, right? Given that you've been in the open water, you kind of got on the surfboard, you did the thing, you've been to the country, um, you know, so how are you keeping that kind of, you know, the excitement and the energy level there for you as you're going to continue to bring people to go through this thing, right? Whereas before it's like, I was one of you, right? And now it's like, mm -hmm. I'm not really one, which is fine. But just for you and kind of your, your, what you've shared with us in your past and kind of like, I don't want to get bored and I really like excitement and I like creativity. Mm -hmm. So how are you keeping this fresh for you? Well, with the second one, I was able to add in some pieces we didn't have in the first one. We added in salsa lessons and some Latin dance lessons, and we added in some yoga and doing yoga in the rainforest was just magical. So I just kind of, and we saw whales this year. So it was just like this perfect container. And I, after the second one, I was like, okay, this is what we're going to do. This is how it's all going to work. The pieces fit. I know what I'm doing and it's magic. And so, but what I didn't realize, this is, this is how the third year is going to be important or new and fresh for me is what I didn't realize I was doing in the second retreat. I, I had created activities for people to do, um, aside from the scuba or the snorkeling and the, the surfing and all of that, 
that were meant to push them outside of their comfort zone and make them do things or encourage them to do things that they are not used to doing and feeling uncomfortable. But what I didn't realize until I got home was that the minute they started to feel uncomfortable and they started to express that to me, my, oh, I'm not being a good person. I'm not being a good you know, host, I need to, they need to be happy. They need to enjoy this. They need to like me, you know, that kicked in and I was not holding them in the space that they needed to really experience. To sit that. in the discomfort, right? Yeah. You were right, like, right. you were playing host, not coach. You were like, no, right. like, yes, let me make it better <laughs> yeah. for you. Yeah. I get that instinct. I get that instinct, right? So the next time you're, what you're saying is you're going to be holding the space for people to sit yes. in discomfort. Yes. So for people who really need that support to get through something and come out on the other end, you're not going to – you're not signing off on on letting them out of that, right? You're going to, like, right. hold it. So that's right. – so, you ha- so you're yeah. getting ready to do your third one. So it's, I'm, it's growing, you know, each time you did the first one, you did the second one. A little thing I love in there as well is you had the beta one. And then you did another one, mm-hmm. and now you're doing another one. And each time you're tweaking it, and you're refining it, and you're, like, making it better. Mm-hmm. And I just think that that's – it sounds, like, normal. Like, that's what people would do. It's actually not normal and not what people will do because some people will do the – they want – especially perfectionists want that first one to go so well and so perfect. And if all the sun and the moon the stars don't line up and it's not the way that they had envisioned it, then they just don't do it again. It's like, well, that didn't work. So now I have to come up with something else. And so I'm like, no, I just have to do it again and refine it and tweak it and refine it and tweak it and keep it going and keep it. So I love that you're having um, a third one. So when is the third one? The third one is happening um, September 12th through the 19th in 2020. And we fly into Panama City and then we're there for a couple of days. And then we're in Santa Catalina, which is um, in Veraguas, which is the middle of the country on the Pacific Ocean, and it's a nice, gentle black sand beginner's Ooh. beach for learning. Okay, good. Because I was going to say, you know, maybe like you know, asking for a friend, someone who might be four foot eleven <laughs> to you know just just went under the two hundred pound mark recently, like um, and, you know, no, can't do a pull up, right? The idea, mm-hmm. I, I don't like. I also am terrified of open water. I can kind of swim in a pool, right? Like the idea of like getting on a surfboard and then having to push myself up on that surfboard is like terrifying, right? right. So that that I was wondering what the skill level was of people who tend to go on the retreat this is all uh all sizes all ages um our first we had we have someone who turned 60 on our first retreat who you know learned to surf and none of us are small (laughs) actually one of my my first client is is small but the rest of us are larger (laughs) and um it's once you remind yourself that it's play and that it should be fun it gets a lot easier if you're worried about, you know, results. Yeah, right? Like that's such a – all Sorry. entrepreneurs out there should go do something like this because you're just going to start focusing on the the process and the progress mm-hmm. and not the results. And if you can embrace that lesson, mm-hmm. you'll be super successful in your in your yeah. business, right? You'll be so successful. So um, so September of 2020 – and what I love about this mm-hmm. format, like I said, I love the format of having this as a bonding experience between the participants of what you're going to come back to for six, six months, right, and go through this mm-hmm. coaching program to uh, – get a dream or to tackle something right in your in, in your life mm-hmm. is that correct 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, basically to, you know, what er- whatever area of your life you want to focus on to really start to expand that and to see what's possible. Um, a lot of the clients I have have been so many things to so many people for so long. They've kind of lost touch with who they are. So this kind of gets them out and exploring and being playful again and returning to when yeah, they like were... They- that's what we're childlike. talking about, right? Like that's when they say you yeah. are at your most authentic. So it taps you into some of that. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. So um, yeah. let's let's do – so I end my podcast interviews with like some just quicker kind of questions. Don't overthink and just kind of answer, right? But, um, you know, one question I want to ask for you is what does it mean for you to go all in on something? And, and what does it mean – how do you tell your clients to go all in? And are those definitions the same? Mm, that's interesting. Um. I've embraced the idea that success is not a straight line. And so you have to be comfortable with the ups and the downs. And with my clients, I definitely try to normalize that for them. That, you know, just because you did this great thing doesn't mean you're going to be able to stay there. You're going to fall back and then you're going to go up again. Um, So I try to remind myself of that. And for me, going all in is just assuming there's no way back. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. I've stepped through the door and, you know, like you say, the only way out is through. Yeah, that's it. So if I got to <laughs> literally in the water with the serving sink or swim, right? I got yes, <laughs> exactly. to do that. So, okay. So being a podcast, I love to ask, do you listen to podcasts? And if so, what are some podcasts on your podcast playlist? I have a challenge with finding the time. But um, the next big idea is a podcast that's come out recently that has me hooked. Um, and then for a longer period of time, I've been listening to The Brendan Show by Brendan oh, yeah. Burchard mm-hmm. and Positive Mindset for Entrepreneurs with Dana Wild. Thanks. Very cool. What book are you reading right now? I love asking that. What book are, are you reading? The book I'm trying to give myself permission to yes, read. You don't, yeah, there you go. Give yourself permission, girl. You don't need anybody else to read it. Read it. It's called Phenomenal, oh. A Hesitant Adventurer's Search for Wonder in the Natural World. And basically, it's a young woman who has a young family, and she feels she's lost her sense of wonder. And she doesn't want to raise her sons in a house that where she's not experiencing that. Oh. So she takes off and leaves her her kids with her, you know, safely. Yeah, safely. <laughs> <But> she, <laughs> she goes off and does these adventures where she um, is trying to regain her sense of wonder. Very cool. Very well, I, I mean, you don't need my permission, but I give you permission to read And I give you permission <laughs> to start it and not have to worry about finishing it, like just because you yes. started it, okay? So um, what's a motto that you have right now that's, that governs your life? A uh, path is made by walking. Okay. I, yep. It's so true. I like to ask this. Is there something that I didn't ask you that you wish I had I had, or something that you didn't get an opportunity to share that you wish you had been able to share? Um, the only thing I can think is, you know, we were talking about how God or the universe or higher source can, you know, kick you in the butt and make you do things if you're not listening to the whispers. Um, the other experience I've had is just as I was starting my business and just as I was transitioning from my first six free clients and getting ready to start asking for paid clients, I got offered a job with my dream company Wow! Yes, (laughs) where I got to work with amazing people and be part of something that I really respected 
and where I felt I was going to be respected. And I kind of let my new little fledgling business fall. Um, it was like the universe was saying, okay, do you really want it? I gotcha. <laughs> like, here you go. We're going to find out how committed you are to it, right? right. Yeah. And so then it, it fell. And then I guess you decided to come come back to it then is that I did come back to it and I you know I gained some good experience it definitely pushed me off even though I only worked the new job like six months during a launch a major launch they were doing it I feel like my business took another year after that to get back to where I had been so it it kind of we were it, in our other conversations it, we've talked about how you know there are no mistakes yeah, yeah. <laughs> everything just puts you right where you need to be right but it felt at the sure. time like, oh my gosh, I've made another mistake. <laughs> We've talked about connecting the dots backwards, right? You don't notice this stuff in the moment, guys. Like you're not thinking, oh, it's just putting me right where I need to be. It's like, no, on the hindsight, you're like, oh, that's exactly where I need. Right. I needed that to learn the thing. Okay, so cool. And then um, if people are interested in finding out more about the retreat, about Surfing Your Edge, where do they go? Surfingyouredge.life is the website. Cool. And if they want to and find out more about you, christinegoad.com. And all these links, guys, will be in the show notes. And you're, regis you're registering now, right, for the 2020, September 2020, or soon you're going to be registering for the September 2020. Uh, I have my first new client already signed oh, up. Nice. And I, I don't think she'll mind if I share this. She is a former um, Navy personnel, but she never learned to swim. So. <gasps> She's going to have to learn to swim before she can learn to surf. Oh, wow. so. That is so exciting. She's really pushing herself, right? So it is. Yeah. So cool. So you've got your first person. So if anyone out there, if you're thinking, maybe I want to go to, to Panama, maybe I want to learn how to surf, maybe this is for me, like check out the links in the show notes, go check it out. Um, you know, get registered the earlier. I think there's some bonuses and, and incentives, right? If people register this, this year. Right. If you can register and put down a deposit before January 1st, we are holding the price at the 2019 level. It'll go up in, in 2020. Um, and also, I am putting together a bonus package for people who get in early so that you don't have to, you know, send me your money. And, and then, then wait, wait until, until September, September for a life change. It's like, that's like, right. a little, yeah, so I gotcha. Okay. We can get started early. Cool. Well, you guys go check that out. I really, I like, I am so interested. If any of you are interested, I'd love to hear if that's something that you think you're going to do. Email me um, at feedback at readingmemedoit.com. I'd love to hear and check out the show notes and, and read her book. And Christine, thank you so much for being with us today. I, it's been great learning your story. I'm so glad you crossed my path at DC PodFest. And I look forward to watching uh watching your next surfing retreat probably from afar for this this one but watching it and just learning and, and following everybody who goes with you so thank you for being here and thank you for sharing with us and everyone i will talk to you next week on another episode of the rita mimi do it show hey before you go thank you for listening to my show i hope that you enjoyed this episode Please take a minute to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever it is that you get your podcasts and leave a review. It'll only take you a second, but it will help other people discover the Read and Me Do It show. And my goal is to share this business boosting and life changing content with as many people as possible. In fact, because I value your time so much, every month one reviewer will win a free coaching call with me. 
So if you want to get laser focused and go all in on the results that you most want in your business, then leave a review now. And then head on over to readamimidoit.com where you can find the show notes from today's episode.